Welcome to Practice Makes Podcasts. We are a self-improvement podcast with insights on issues that we deal with in our day-to-day lives. I'm your host, Tyler Kingsbury. And with me today is a guest co-host, Brianna Baca. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Let's co-host the shit up. What? Do it lady style. Girls night. <laughs> we just lost like 50% of the listeners. No, I refuse to listen to women talk to each other. Oh, well. Wow, that's sexist of me, I think. We'll get into that in today's episode. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so our topic today is daddy issues, which we both get the joy of having. Yeah. Did you know that about me? No. <laughs> you didn't? I would have never guessed. Wait, you're being sarcastic. Right yeah. Now. Oh, <laughs> God damn it, that's rude. So, normally we do, at the beginning of the episode, something shitty and something joyful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what is something shitty that has and joyful that has happened to you? Oh, I want to mention before we go any further, actually, that we're in the same room, and I'm staring into your beautiful, real eyeballs. Real, my real eyeballs. Not those fake ones that parade around all day. (laughs) Yeah, not the computerized eyeballs. Yeah, since we are in the same room, I think this is probably a first for your It is. Okay. Yeah, so thank you for christening my microphone. This, I tried to use this microphone once when I recorded by myself, and I accidentally continued recording through the computer, so I still have not used this microphone. Oh, okay. So, okay. I keep getting off Special topic. Day. It's okay. Okay. It's fine. That's I do that. Okay, cool. To people. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just you. You did it to me. Um, so. Something shitty and something joyful. Yeah. You start. It's your thing, so, like, I want to see how it goes for you. Oh, okay, then, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um. <sighs> You know, sometimes it's hard. It's easier to think of shitty things, and I'm in that spot right now. Um, So something shitty is that I am both overwhelmed by the things that I'm seeing on social media having to do with Black Lives Matter um, because it makes me feel powerless and that is a source of anxiety for me and probably a lot of people that sense of like powerlessness um, I both feel that and up until today I felt this like separation from friends in my life that are of color like that I wasn't allowed to be a part of it because some people kind of promote that on their social media mm-hmm um, and so it made me feel like separate from them, and that was sad because I really like people, and I have abandonment issues, so I don't like it when people go away. Um, so that's shitty. Uh, but I think I've said this in previous episodes that we've recorded, but we're not gonna maybe put up. But um. If you're feeling discouraged by anything that you're seeing as an ally, don't. <laughs> um, because I do think that it's so important, and I've talked to various people that say it's important to continue to raise up voices of people that need to be raised up right now, and so just continue doing that. Um I could go into my joyful thing, or you could do your shitty thing. I'll do my shitty thing. Okay. And then, and then we can end on two joyful notes. So my okay. shitty thing is that my two cats are now both puking. Oh, no. 
Yeah, and I don't know why. Um, it was just one. I know, and now it's both of them. Aww. They're idiots. I think one is because she ate plastic and tore up her tummy. Oh, no. Um, yeah, she's an idiot. Uh, it's amazing <laughs> that she's made it 11 years into this world. <laughs> she's 11? Yeah, I love her, but... Yeah. God. So they both have vet visits for tomorrow, and I realized this morning that I only have one cat carrier. Oh, do you <laughs> yeah. want to borrow one? I have one that might not fit your cat. It's okay. It's like I I'll just put them in the same cat carrier because they're small. They can be in the cat carrier together, and then the vet will has extras, so they'll just like oh put them in a separate one. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Also, That's I said your cat was a hundred pounds, and that was that was wrong. Hundred pound cat. I just had like I added a zero. <laughs> I have like a like a puma. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out you're like a terrible. Yeah. You you have like my puma's just puking all over my house. You know, like <laughs> jungle animals in your in your home. <laughs> So that's you're like an awesome activist and like a feminist, <laughs> but you are also terrible to like animals. Colorado's Joe Exotic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. <laughs> All right, you're a trifle thing. Okay. Um. Let's see. Um. Something joyful is that I have been really good about staying aware in my attachments to other people when I start to get, like, push them away or, um, uh, or whatever it is that I would normally do, I am more aware of it now. So that's joyful. Good. Being more, like, more accountable and aware of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And, like... Realizing that some of the feelings that I have are actually normal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really fun. It's joyful. I guess since we're on one microphone, we're just gonna hear a bunch of water spills. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. We'll be so right. my joyful thing is that tonight I am doing my drunk fan fiction reading. Yeah. So I'm really excited for that. It's my second one. Uh, I found all of my old teenage pre preteen fan fiction about Teen Titans, <laughs> the Cartoon Network show. Were you obsessed? I was so obsessed. Nice. I was so obsessed. I spent all last night making um, like mock-up cocktails, like custom cocktails for the event, and naming them like different things based off of the show. Like one of my favorites that I came up with was um, it's a take on a Manhattan. It's a pomegranate Manhat- Manhattan, mm-hmm. and the title of it is. Latent teenage homosexual feelings for Raven. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, you're such a good event planner. I, I, it's fun. I yeah. enjoy it. So that's what I'm looking forward to. That's my joy for today and this week, my yeah. weekend. See why we can't find a way to monetize that somehow. Yeah, my Your event awesome planning. event planning. Yeah. Like I mean, right now on the podcast. If only there were like event planners <laughs> in the world. Start a Patreon where we just watch <laughs> your like parties. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, cool. So that's good. We we covered the extremes. Um, yeah, maybe we could start with like what was your father like? Yeah. Okay. So right. you you go first. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you, Tyler. Sure. So yeah, um growing up, I always thought I had a really great childhood. Like 
when you're viewing at it from where you're standing in that moment, like I always thought that I had a really great childhood and I was grew up being really close with my dad. Um, I would call myself like a daddy's girl. You know, I always wanted to spend time with him. And part of that was because he worked a night shift at um, a hospital as an RN. And so he just wasn't around a whole lot. Um, and so time with him was sort of like special. Um, but he was also like the lenient parent, you know, like he, you know, if, if you want something, you go and ask mom. And then if she says no, you go and ask dad. And then oh, you want, right? Yeah. And... I think a lot of it just came from he's also a very like charismatic personal person. Um, he, you know, people loved being around my dad, and he was sort of like me in the sense that like he loved planning events and like community was really important to him. Um, and he comes from a big, you know, Hispanic. I come from a big uh, Latinx family, and so just that sense of whenever we're with my dad, we were having, like, a party or having family over or, like, going out to eat with, like, other people. And it was just fun things that I enjoy. Um, but my dad was also a uh, pretty severe alcoholic. Mm. So he, whenever he wasn't working, um, he was drinking. Um, I don't know if he ever went to work drunk or got drunk on the job. I don't think so. I've ne- I, I never heard anything from my mom then or now about any sort of instances like that. Um, but whenever he wasn't at work, he was drinking and or drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of grew up in a bar where he would like to go um, in, in my hometown to the point where, like, the guy who owned the bar, I knew him as Uncle Bill. Mm. He was not my uncle. <laughs> he was just the guy who owned the bar that my dad <laughs> went to all the time. Um, and I, I didn't realize how sort of damaging that was to always have a drunk father around. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't the type of drunk who was, like, angry or anything. Like, he never, you know, beat us or was you know, angry, yelling drunk, he just was kind of a useless drunk where he didn't really take care of us. So there was that negligence there. Um, How do you think that has transferred into your adult relationships? um, I think I definitely seek, like, validation and attention in a way where I really wanted it from my dad, you yeah. know, because, you know, I did all kinds of, like, sports and extracurriculars, you know, I do, like, theater for school and choir, and I had soccer games and softball games, and my mom was always the one, like, taking me to those practices and taking me to the games and going to the shows and stuff, and, like, if dad could show up to, like, a soccer game or if he could show up to a theater performance, like, it was the best thing in the world, even mm-hmm. though my mom was constantly doing yeah. it. Yeah. Um... And so I think, like, now I definitely, a lot of, like, a lot of my big personality comes from that sort of, like, performative, like, look at me, validate me. Like, I'm trying to, like, get your attention. And not just in, like, romantic relationships, but, like, friendships and and, um, sort of, like, colleague and, like, coworker relationships where everything I do, I'm constantly thinking about who's watching me and... Are they approving of what I'm doing? Are they seeing what I'm doing? Am I doing a good enough job? Yeah. In some ways, I feel like that is a good thing. Like, because obviously you're 
you do very well at work, you have a ton of friends, you plan parties. Yeah. But then there's that, like, inner turmoil as well. What yeah. Do, what is that like? It's definitely stressful because when you put so much weight on other people's opinion of you, when, like, that is a main source of your value, you don't learn how to value yourself. Yeah. And... It, it gets, it can create a lot of unhealthy, like codependent um, issues where not only do you enjoy having others' validation, but you need it. Like, you can't mm-hmm. validate yourself. You can't love yourself without first getting it, first and foremost, from somebody else. And that's absolutely unhealthy, and that is codependent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I used to have a lot of those issues. Um, do you think that um, because of that need for validation, because I know exactly what you're talking about, uh-huh. do you think that it makes it really devastating when somebody disapproves of you or rejects you? Do you ever have like a, a really overwhelming experience? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't like not being wanted or like not being liked, you know, but who, who doesn't, right? right? Like, you know, who, I mean, aside from like the one or two assholes in the world, who gets joy out of being <laughs> actively disliked by oh everybody? Oh my God, there meet. are people that yeah. are like that. They, they have enjoy completely different issues. Holy shit. Yeah. I wonder what that's all about. Yeah. But you know, I, I, there, there is a sense of uh, loss is probably too strong of a word. There, disappointment. Um, you know, it used to wreck me mm-hmm. and I had to learn, I had to put a lot of work into becoming okay on my own. That How would you do? Just, <laughs> you're, you're like, like tell me everything. Uh, there's no magic answer, Tyler, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it's but just, what for our listeners too, yeah. maybe like some things that you went through or First, first of all, um, recognizing when some when an outward external validation is more important than internal validation. The first thing is realizing, yeah. So then you'd have to like see probably starting off, um, I'm angry or I'm sad, and then and then go from there. Maybe because I feel like at first you're just very like uncognizant. Is that the right word? Hopefully. Sure. Okay, we'll Sounds go with smart. her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Words. That was that was one of three I'm going to drop today. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you don't recognize that you're doing it. You just yeah. know that you're mad, and then maybe even that gets pushed down, mm-hmm. and you get another secondary emotion, and you're just burying everything. Yeah, so to dig through that is hard. The, yeah. So the first real step, just like anything, is recognizing when you have a problem. And the problem being the problem being that internal validation and acceptance of yourself isn't as important as a like getting okay. that from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, prioritizing the external over the internal. Yeah, um, that would be the problem. That that's the problem. <clears throat> and in whatever manner that it's being done in, mm-hmm. that is sort of the broad underlying problem. Um, and then you know, I went to therapy. You know, I, I had a therapist and I started seeing her for my really severe anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, How old were you? So I started 
I was diagnosed with severe anxiety like at the end of high school. Um, it's actually a pretty funny story because I thought I had like breathing lung like problems, like Whoa. a physical medical ailment. Oh. That not not to say that like anxiety isn't a medical ailment, but I thought it was like something was wrong with my lungs yeah. instead of something wrong with my brain, wow. <laughs> right? And so I couldn't breathe, and I was having like respiratory issues, and I even went to like a respiratory like specialist Whoa. because I was like, I feel like I can't finish a breath. Like, I'm, I feel like when I breathe in, like when you're breathing in, the breath starts at the bottom of the hill and rolls up to the top. And then when I breathe out, instead of going over the hill and finishing, it just rolls back down. Oh. Like, I never get that sort of like, <sighs> yeah, like, like, a full, like a full breath, like a completed, uh, satisfied Even now breath. or this was before? This was like in high school when it was the most severe. Yeah. And so I went to a bunch of different like doctors and respiratory specialists. I even sat in a box and like breathed in different tubes and they did like all these asthma graphs and everything and they were like everything's fine and they gave me an inhaler and they were like it's probably just mild asthma. And I remember going to this doctor because I couldn't see his colleague. She was busy that day. And so I went to him instead. And after, like, five minutes of being in the room with me, you know, my, my leg was bouncing, and I was stuttering, and oh. I was just, like, rapid speech, and he was like, hold on. And he walked out of the room, and then he went and um, got something, and he came back in the room with a clipboard, and he's like, I need you to take this test, and it was an anxiety and depression sort of, like, survey. Mm. And it's those where you, like, check the box of, like, you know, I'm constantly worried, one, you know, never, five, always, yeah. and then you select what you need and you tally it up well I scored a 27 that's the highest um highest is 29 oh okay because now well, the one uh-huh. I looked up was 27 yeah so <laughs> I scored a 27 um and he was like this is you have severe anxiety you're not like your lungs are fine you are just a ball of anxiety like good and, for him for yeah like and he, he saw that within five minutes of just like really looking at me yeah. instead of just like passing me along and you know well she just has asthma kind of thing like yeah. he just like took a second observed and then like when I got something and it was then that I was like okay so I have anxiety really severe anxiety um and my mom put me in with a therapist who was like a relaxation ther- therapist like specialist and like that was pretty okay I didn't really feel like it was a good fit, and so I thought therapy just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until college, later in college, like, in my uh, later college career, like, junior, senior-ish, that I decided to go back to therapy because college was making my stress unmanageable, um, and I wasn't dealing with it very well. Um, I ended up developing, like, an eating disorder because of it and, like, developing a lot of really unhealthy coping mechanisms, partially to do with, like, needing people to, like, need me and want yeah. me around. Do you, and, like, so do you think that. then that eating disorders are related to maybe daddy issues? Because Oh, my, absolutely can be. I mean, I, in my experience, everyone I know that has really struggled with it, they all had a, a different kind of relationship with their father. They can be linked because an eating disorder is can can be a symptom of other underlying um, issues that are afflicting you. Um, like you feel like you're not worthy. You feel like uh-huh. nobody loves you. That you have to 
fill a mold mm-hmm. that's like this imper like this perfection mold that doesn't exist. Yeah, and so a lot of like I- I'm gonna use the term right now real quote unquote real daddy issues um come in the form of anxiety and attachment disorders and behaviors. Yeah. And those could take on a variety of different um sort of manifestations. Um and I'm not listeners, I am not a psychologist, I am not a therapist, I'm not a counselor. I haven't even taken a psychology course in college. None? I, no. I wow. just I just do a lot of reading. Um, I talk with yeah. a lot of people who are in those fields as professionals um, and have told them about my life and my stories. And, of course, I've had my own experiences with therapists. Um, so I know a lot of, like, the terminology that's been spoken to me and a lot of how they've guided me through mapping out you know, my inner turmoil and issues and understanding. And so that's kind of reflected in my desire to learn more. And so I've like read books and articles and have read um, papers by different like doctors that have stuff to say on the issue, but I am not a professional. This isn't even like what I studied in college. Um, So just like disclaimer there. Yeah. Do you want to, let's talk about attachment styles issues. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, so I have a new therapist and I really like her. She suggested this book to me and I read it in like a week, I think. Um, cause I just was so interested in it. If you feel like you have, um, anxiety around relationships, it's called attached and it's by Amir Levine. And, um, if you haven't heard of attachment styles, the two, different attachment styles that are insecure are called anxious and avoidant and um, an anxious a person with an anxious attachment style feels at least in my experience this is def- I'm an anxious person and avoidant actually I'm both that is like one of the check, check. <laughs> one of the one of the, the cool things about learning this is that I'm very rare actually. But it is good to, like, with with me having both, this book actually taught me that the anxious part of me is actually the healthier part. Mm-hmm. The avoidant one is harder to break through that, to um, attach with a secure person. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's reassuring. And when you say the title of that book was? Attached. 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 <laughs> yeah. And it's by Amir Levine. Um, so someone with an avoidant attachment style, um, finds reasons to get away, um, after you've been close. Um, and so how I experience it is whatever the other person is, I take on the other role. So if they're avoidant, I become desperately anxious about the relationship. And if they are anxious... I become majorly avoidant. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm... It's feast or famine. Yeah. There was um, someone that we, we dated very briefly because he was so anxious that I couldn't do it at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I've had a whole lot of relationships where I took on the avoidant part of it. You know, it didn't last very long if I did. But um, he... I was the worst person I've ever been. Like, I was mean, I said cruel things, 
I was, um, like, uh, I'm like, the word is avoidant, but I'm dismissive or, yeah, I was like more dismissive. There, there are two different types of avoidance. Uh, insecure attachment styles and one of them is dismissive and the other one is fearful mm-hmm. and yeah dismissive was definitely where I was on that spectrum oh also in this book it has a website that you can go to and it's called so the website is called yourpersonality.net slash attachment and it's really cool because you can take a test there's one that's four minutes long where you don't have to put in your email and then there's one that's 10 minutes long and you put in your email, but they don't send you spam or anything. They just give you an account so you can track your style over time. So if you start to become more secure, you can see something like that. Or if you get into a relationship, you can see how your behavior changes. Like I am a secure person when it comes to friends and my mom, according to this test even, it shows you those relationships. But when it comes to my general attachment style and um, the ones that I do with relationships, it's very anxious. The one, it was like off the chart in the anxious box. Mm-hmm. But it's really cool to take a test like that because then you get um, a chance to talk about yourself to yourself. Yeah. Which is fun. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think any opportunity for introspection should be sort of treated as a as a as just that and, and an opportunity and uh, the more that you try and dig into yourself and and try and understand yourself, the better you're going to be in the long run. And so you know, taking those tests or um, reading the books, I think, is a really helpful way to like if you don't know where to start. I think that might might be a good starting point. Oh yeah, the the attachment um, attached by Amir Levine is a great thing uh, tool, even if you can't have a therapist right now. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, therapy is probably what's going to help the most. Yes, I definitely recommend therapy, but with the caveat of not every therapist is going to be a fit right. for for you, and it's sort of it, it requires a lot of patience and understanding that. If a therapist doesn't work for you or a therapy style doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean that therapy needs to be off the table as an option. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't get discouraged if you go to your first therapist or counselor or whatever you decide to go to and it doesn't feel right. Don't get discouraged. Just be honest. Um, if they're a therapist or a counselor worth their salt, they're going to understand that you know not everyone is a good fit. Mm-hmm. And they hopefully will give you some resources to find somebody who is a good fit. One of the things that um, I want to sort of hit on is what Tyler and I have been talking about so far in terms to quote unquote daddy issues um, is actually uh, stems from having not from having your uh, needs not met from a caregiver, mm-hmm. from a parental sort of context, and how not having those needs met manifest in sort of anxious disorders or attachment um, disorders and behaviors. But when people, you know, the commonwealth, <laughs> talk about daddy issues, 
what they're actually talking about is um, sort of that almost shaming of women expressing sexual desire or needs. Mm -hmm. And that is, when we talk about daddy issues, that's what people think. I mean, when I say, oh, she's got daddy issues, what's the first thing that you think of? Um, this Instagram page that I follow. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like, it just, it's so pervasive and, and yeah. unhealthy, the, and, and it's gendered, um, right? right? You, like, when you say they've got daddy issues, you don't think of a guy, you think of a young woman. Totally. Um, and, you know, the term daddy issues isn't even, like, a medical term. No. <laughs> you know, it's, like... It's so broad and sort of, like, biased and gendered that it's not indicative of anything. All it's all it's showing is that you think that women's sexual desires or emotional needs are shameful. Yeah. Um, and part of what... I mean, I listened to this other podcast that I really like. It's called Mental Illness Happy Hour, and it has a comedian as a host. He's Paul Gilmartin. I sent him an email the other day, and he responded, and I'm just, like, totally fangirling over here. But um, definitely listen to that. He talks about um, how he has one episode on this, actually, how shame influences our sexual desires and how um, things that we've gone through in our childhood will sometimes, you know, flow over into our adulthood Mm -hmm. where we relive it, but in a way that we can control it, Mm -hmm. and how super normal that is to just, like have a, a setting where you feel safe, but in almost a way like you're living an experience that could potentially be out of control um, and dangerous, but you're in control. And it, it actually can be therapeutic. Yeah. And I don't want to, like, try and say that, you know, poor, uh, a poor parental relationship can't influence you know, like, your sexual behavior or anything, or, or like, sexual, um, I guess, like, growth if you're, if it starts during, like, puberty and, and, and onward, because absolutely can. A, a poor relationship with a caregiver um, can absolutely do that. Uh, but how and, I guess, like, if and, and, and how it, infect, it affects certain aspects of that is mixed at best, especially because a lot of studies are done on cis and hetero mm-hmm. um, subjects. Yeah. And so it doesn't even really get into how it can affect, like, sexual identity and, like, that whole spectrum of things. Um, but there is a sort of, like, common ground, I guess, or, or like, a common finding that really poor relationships with parental figures and caregivers growing up... Um, affects gen like different genders um in d- different ways so like females or like um femme identifying uh quote unquote subjects of studies were shown to have like an early interest in sex or even like have an early puberty hmm. as a result of like all of the stress and like um i guess fallout from that whereas like Males or male identifying got um, were shown to have more like sexual aggression and like control issues mm-hmm. in that aspect of their life, and so like it definitely can have an effect 
on that on that aspect of a person's life. But the term daddy issues is only ever used when somebody wants to like shame a woman for expressing sexual needs and desires. Mm-hmm. You know, like or a lack of sexual desire. You know, like if a woman puts out too much, she's got daddy issues. If she doesn't put out enough and she's prudish, she's got daddy issues. If a woman expresses, you know, needing something more from a relationship, if she's too needy, she's got daddy issues. Mm-hmm. If she pulls away and, you know, is dismissive of emotional needs, she's got daddy issues. And she does. Hurrah. So it's oh. just like, it's just this, it's just this like shitty catch all yeah. for when typically, um, males in the relationship want her to dismiss the woman communicating basic needs of a relationship. Yeah, let's talk about needs. Because <laughs> I, um, forever, up until probably pretty recently, have started to discover um, that this isn't the case. So hopefully sharing this will open some people's eyes. Okay. But um, my needs are not important. I have felt that for a very long time, and I didn't realize that. Um one of the things that I've convinced myself of is anytime I have intense emotions um, or feelings for someone, that I'm in the danger zone. That there suddenly it triggers all kinds of a cascade in my mind where they're going to leave me. Um, and then if they even do kind of pull away in any way, shape, or form, I lose my shit. Like, I, I get suicidal. Like, I get anxious, depressed, um, I feel like I can't control my life. Suddenly, I have, I'm a person that has a, a ton of hobbies and a lot of things I care about, and I love a lot of people. I, I love um, having multiple friends, you know, and going to events and things like that, and suddenly all of that crumbles, and I am just a shell of a person. And it's um, in the book, because I've had therapists... Every time I do, like, the, the intake, they always think I'm borderline. Mm-hmm. And then I meet with the therapist, and they're like, there's no fucking way you're borderline. Because they know as soon as... Someone told me they know as soon as you walk in the door if you're borderline. Like, the way that you act. And I just don't have that kind of behavior. And um, I do have some secure relationships, and maybe that's part of it, too. But in this book I was reading... It talked, it mentioned masochistic borderline personality traits. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because that's totally what it is. I feel like a masochist when these things happen. It's like, um, I pick the certain type of person that's gonna make it a bad situation. Um, so one thing that I, um, a word that I use, or a word that I learned, a while ago is love addiction and I resonate with that 110% when I read the traits of love addiction I have every single one of them and the group there's a support group for it and it's called sex and love addicts anonymous and there's a website you can find it online um, but they pair the two together and I always was like well, I mean, that's not fair. It's just love. But then I realized um, recently I had a situation where they weren't meeting my needs and I probably made my expectations too high for the situation that it, I was picking someone unavailable, as I usually do, make, putting regular 
or even more extreme expectations on them, and then they couldn't meet them. Let me talk about this that I found. Um, I looked at masochistic borderline personality behavioral traits... And I found a different disorder, which I thought was interesting, called masochistic personality disorder, which I'd never heard of. It was in the DSM-3 in 1980, but it has since been taken out um, because of the movement towards, like, sexualizing masochism and sadism. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure that was always around, but now it's more, like, open. Um, So here are some of the traits. A pervasive pattern of self-defeating behavior beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts. The person may often avoid or undermine pleasurable experiences, be drawn to situations or relationships in which they will suffer, and prevent others from helping them, as indicated by at least five of the following. Chooses people and situations that lead to disappointment, failure... mistreatment even when better options are clearly available. I don't know about that. I don't have any better options. (laughs) (laughs) Rejects or renders ineffective the attempts of others to help them. Following positive personal events, new achievement, for example, responds with depression, guilt, or behavior that produces pain. Ooh. Incites angry or rejecting responses from others and then feels hurt, defeated, or humiliated. For example, makes fun of a spouse in public, provokes provokes an angry retort, then feels devastated. Rejects opportunities for pleasure or is reluctant to acknowledge enjoying themselves despite having adequate social skills and the capacity for pleasure. I'll just read one more and I'm going to link this in the the show notes if you guys want to read it more. This last one is, fails to accomplish tasks crucial to their personal objectives despite having demonstrated the ability to do so. For example, helps fellow students write papers, but is unable to write their own. Oh, shit. Dip me. (gasps) You've done that? I am. Oh, dude. Wow. I love helping people, and I love, like, teaching, but, like, when it comes to, like, personal, like, accountability and success, I'm terrible. I'm such a procrastinator. Like, Mm -hmm. I do not care about my own success, but I will throw myself 200% into somebody else's success. Oh, so that's like masochistic behavior, you mm-hmm. think? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm that like, with that, all of that, yeah. but like that's definitely like a behavior that I have. And, and it comes from, again, prioritizing the external over the internal. Yeah. Um, just to like come back around to that, I'm definitely not done like bettering myself and like trying to heal all of those wounds, all of those attachment wounds um, from the experiences with you know, caregivers one way or another not meeting my needs and sort of like creating those traumas and those wounds Um, it's an ongoing process yeah, uh, for sure. And I definitely have that. I oh. definitely like failed a paper or a project or a test that I've helped other people like study for or uh. complete. Like, uh, yeah, so yeah. a lot of those I haven't done, but I mean, I de- I go into that mode when I'm triggered. Mm-hmm. That's like a lot of and people's what, new favorite it, word, but I like it too. So whatever. It's my word too. And what did you say? Like triggers you into that mode, like. When somebody starts to, like, love you or when they don't? I Well, it's intimacy. 
Intimacy, okay. But I pick it with a person that I know can't be intimate. Okay, so like setting them up for failure, sort of like yeah. setting yourself up to go into this mode. Yeah, with this book, there is like some worksheets in there mm-hmm. that I've done, and so one of the things... There are some worksheets in there that I've done. Ah, some worksheets. (laughs) Um, But one of them made me realize my pattern with my anxious attachment is that um, I find someone I like, and then I trigger them to start acting the way that what is whatever the counter is going to be. Mm -hmm. So I say um, something to sabotage it. Right from the beginning. Right. And I know that I've done this. But um, in recent events, I was like, okay, we won't do that this time. Before I knew it, it already happened. Yeah. I'd already sabotaged it, flipped it on its head so that they were insecure about my attachment to them. And then, turns out they were avoidant, so I became anxious. And um, I feel this emptiness inside of me, this desperation to reattach to this person and suddenly I can't think about all the ways that they're bad for me like I know and I can I can think about it I know that it's there but it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because this feeling inside of me is so much more intense than that is and I feel it feels like butterflies in my chest oh have you ever seen crazy ex-girlfriend no but you keep saying I should and you like, I keep to. meaning to I just I I don't watch TV on my own. Maybe it'll be like a clockwork orange experience where I like tie you to a chair and like shit. Would you though? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who can see, uh, I made aggressive eye contact. Tyler, for that, please. She said in the in the show, um, one of her friends, her new friends, is like, "You came to West Covina to follow Josh here, Um, the guy that she's love addicting over," and. Um, she's like, no, I didn't. All I know is that I met up with Josh by accident on the street, and he made me feel great, like glitter was exploding inside of me. And then I quit my job and came to West Covina. <laughs> and that's really what it's like. It feels like glitter is exploding inside of you. And the two the two different feelings, um, they, they really cross over. The difference between fear and anxiety, like that ball of fear and anxiety, and the ball of like Twitter-pated, like, um, being attracted to someone and, and feeling connected to them. They're very similar. Um, there is slight, there are slight differences, but they definitely cross over. And so I, I will mistake the anxiety and the fear for, for that love that I mm-hmm. want so badly. Yeah. We're not learning anything new about each other. That's we're, okay. we're just recording this. Yes. <laughs> we're going to repress it all and then go back to work as if nothing had happened. Yes. Work as per usual. I don't know. The last thing that I want to make sure that I say, not that we have to like wrap it up right after this, but the last thing I I want to make sure that I hit on is that, um, to, uh, basically a call to be more aware of the language that you're using. And so even if you're using the term daddy issues as a joke or, you know, if in the context of the conversation, you know, people understand that that's not how you mean it, try and find other words to use because casually using language like that sort of makes it commonplace, whether or not you're thinking you're doing that to yourself or not. Um, harmful rhetoric is still harmful, whether or not there's intent behind it. You know, um, what do you think it does? I, I think it just sets you up to start believing the things that saying something like daddy issues sort of 
starts making you think about, right? Kind of like how, how I did the exercise at the beginning of when I say they've got daddy issues, who's the person that you think of? Right. You know, just using it casually like that just cements that harmful rhetoric in place. And so... I think part of what it does to me too is it's almost like a little scar. Yeah. And when you and when I when I think of it and when I say it about myself, I'm it's like I'm just kinda like feeling that little moment of pain, but I'm numbing it just a little bit more every time I do it. Because I'm like, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kinda that, that kinda hits on what I want to urge people to start saying instead, including ourselves. Including mm-hmm. um victims of caregiver negligence and abuse Mm -hmm. is using the term attachment wounds because that's exactly what they are kind of like what you're saying i like that that just gave me chills yeah you use the term attachment wounds and if it's not you know quote-unquote serious enough to use that term then don't don't talk about it don't joke about it you know why do you feel the need to shame women for having needs and wants in a relationship because that's all the term daddy issues does is it sets up shame Mm -hmm. and that's not right. And there's also a lot of, um, racial bias in it. And that can be problematic because whenever we talk about daddy issues, we're not talking about the thing that the dad did wrong, right? We're talking about Mm -hmm. what the woman can and cannot, will and will not do for you. It's not about what the dad did or didn't do. It's about the woman that you're talking about. But yet when we, and and when you say, oh, they've got daddy issues, you think of, you know, the college girl, young woman, usually white, blonde, or like beautiful Instagrammer. And then when you talk about absentee fathers like that's a different issue it's a different issue and people get a different vision mm-hmm. of the bad guy in their head at that right. point and when you say absentee fathers most people will think about black men and suddenly when the the sort of air is on the father he's black and when we are sexualizing the person that we're talking about with daddy issues She's young and white. Mm-hmm. With, so, like, like, big boobs. Yeah. And so... Just I'm going to cut that part out. Just being, <laughs> just being conscious of the terminology that you're using and the sort of what you're predisposing yourself and other people to start thinking about. Just being conscious of that. And choosing language and rhetoric that dismantles those harmful ideas of both um, gendering attachment wounds... When everybody suffers from attachment wounds, men, women, young, old, you know, everybody mm-hmm. suffers from attachment wounds. And then also separating out racial bias from absentee fathers, because we could do a whole other, maybe we should do that on our next episode. Yeah. The bullshit that is racial profiling absentee fathers and blaming, um, you know, that blaming absentee fathers, which are usually, you know, thought of as being black fathers, which is false. And I think of my father, and he's white, so... Yeah. Yeah, I think of my father, too, and he's, you know, uh, him. <laughs> but I just, I, I think separating yourself from the harmful language is the first step of sort of... Taking your making power it better. back. Yeah, In making my way, it better. Like, when you said that, because when I say daddy issues, it's like that... 
the scar has it's covered up already, but the damage is done underneath, mm-hmm. and it just kind of like activates it, but numbs it a little bit more. So then I'm probably persisting or prolonging the damage. Right. But um, if I say something like attachment issues, then suddenly I it's like I'm. I'm powerful again. I there are ways to improve on that. When I think of daddy issues, I think of like, well, fuck, I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. Like this is something I can never change. It's just a part of who I am. People are gonna judge me for it. Yeah, and and I'm you know it's almost like if someone has called you a name, like slut, or we can think mm-hmm. of various other names that we if we use it, we kind of use the power. But if we're saying um, daddy issues that you were like numbing that whole pretext it's like instead how about we heal from it and okay what are the bits and pieces that are involved in that yeah do you have abandonment issues probably you don't know i mean probably remember remember what i said at work the other day when i was like the worst week of my life my grandpa died, my dad left, and my cat ran away. Yeah. I probably have abandonment issues. From just that one day. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, every other day has been perfect. Perfect. Every day has been a golden ray of sunshine ever since. What is Father's Day like for you? Rough. Absolutely rough. Um, you do notice it? Oh, oh, I dread it every year. I never even know that the, the day is happening. Yeah, I, I dread it every year because it's a, you know, for a long time I didn't even call my dad or text him on Father's Day right after he left. He left when I was 16. Yeah. Um, but I, it took a long time for me to work through my anger and I don't feel sorry about being angry at him. Yeah. You know, my, my anger was valid and it was needed and it was a healthy part of recovering from that from that attachment wound, from that trauma that he put me and my family through. And so I'm absolutely not ashamed of my anger. Um, it just took me, you know, working through it, not necessarily getting over it, but working through it to be okay talking to him again, let alone, like, wishing him a happy Father's Day. So you do talk to him? Uh, the last few years I have called him and wished him a happy Father's Day. Is that the only time you talk to him? I've, one of the few times in the year. Like, I think he calls me on my birthday um, when he remembers what day it is, and then for like Christmas, yeah, he'll call me or I'll call him if I'm not stopping by, because he lives sort of on the way down to where my mom lives. So if I have time, I'll pop in for a little bit hmm. and say hi, and then get back on the road. How long was he gone before you started talking to him again? Um, I probably didn't talk to my dad for a full year right after he left. Um. Whereas my sister was always talking to him. Like, she, her method of dealing with it was to be more involved with him and, like, trying to fix him and take care of him. Whereas mine was like, you burned me, get the fuck out of my life. Yeah. Like, I want nothing to do with you. Which is funny because, like, as people, we're completely opposite. Like, she is very, like, stubborn and bullheaded and very, like, hard to get along with and just kind of, like, seen as, you know, all through growing up, this, like, quote-unquote problem child and, like, acting out. She was that one. Yeah, and then I was, like, the golden child, like, perfect student, teacher's pet, like, personable and loves being around people and easy, makes it easy to get along with. And then, like, the way we dealt with that trauma, like, it was almost like a a flip like she became more nurturing and tried to take care of him and fix him and I just like totally shut him out full on anger 
um, that eventually turned to apathy. Like, I don't care what happens to my dad. Like, he could die and I don't care and all of that stuff. And, you know, you just, you never know how you're going to respond to trauma and what you're going to need to work through it. So, yeah. Father's Day is rough. Yeah. It's tricky. It's getting easier, but, you know, I'm nearly 30 at this point and still have a lot of work to do. We don't share our ages, though. I'm just kidding. What? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was a golden child, too. And my brother was the scapegoat, like your sister. Mm -hmm. We have, like, the similar family dynamic um, characters that we've taken on. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you the younger one or the older one? I'm older. Same. Yeah. Um, We had different dads, so equally shitty. No. I don't know. You don't it's know if hard you have to tell. No, it's hard okay. to tell which of the two are shittier. <laughs> it's like, how do you know if you have different dads? Oh, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> He's like beautiful blonde, blue hair, blue, blue eyes, blonde hair. I did say blonde already, but... Very blonde. Double blonde. Super fucking blonde. Like, no <laughs> fucking kidding. Um... Sorry, I like we just talked like the whole time and you had questions. I was just like No, actually oh. I ended up covering okay. them. Okay. So one um thing I wanted to talk about but I think maybe could just be a whole nother episode mm-hmm. is about being bi. Ooh yeah. Let's definitely do another a episode. Whole episode. Absolutely. Okay, cool. I could talk about being bi all day long. Let's end with this if you don't mind. Okay. Um these are cognitive distortions. Have you ever heard of them? You probably did them in therapy. I think so, probably. Did you ever do C B T? Okay, so yeah. let me, okay, just, let's say, um, each of us will just say if either of us have experienced this. So, the first cognitive distortion is all or nothing thinking. So, um, black and white thinking is also another, uh, name for it. This distortion manifests as an inability or unwillingness to see shades of gray. <laughs> like the movie. But not like the movie. In other words, <laughs> like, like not even close, you see things in terms of extremes. Something is either fantastic or awful. You are either perfect or a total failure. Do you experience that one? Yes. You do? Yes. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Overgeneralization. This sneaky distortion takes one instance or example and generalizes it to an overall pattern. For example... A student may receive a C on one test and conclude that she is stupid and a failure. Overgeneralizing can lead to overly negative thoughts about oneself and one's environment based on only one or two experiences. Not so much. I tend to be more of like a pick things apart person. Mm -hmm. I compartmentalize a lot and I will put things into as many boxes as I need to to like keep everything separate. So you don't say like... Um, this event made me sad, therefore I must be a sad person. No. No. I do that shit. Not so much anymore. Exhausting. Oh my god, it's so exhausting. (laughs) No, but not so much anymore because of therapy. Yeah. Woo, therapy. Normalized therapy. Yes. Well, guys, thank you for listening. This has been an awesome episode with Brianna Baca. Yeah. I call her Bri, so that's why I stopped for a second. Um, please... Don't forget to go to the website, practicemakespodcast.com, and take our surveys. We really love hearing from you. Um, one of our episodes on loneliness is our most listened to episode, and seeing the numbers is great to to imagine that there are that many 
fewer lonely people out there or, you know, in that moment, people felt less alone. And that's the purpose of this podcast. So hearing from you, even over email, if you go to the website, you can go to the contact page and just shout, uh, give us a shout out. Um, definitely rate us on Apple Podcasts. We, there is an Instagram page and a Facebook page, but don't try to contact us on Facebook because I don't know how to work it. And do get contact us on Instagram. I, there's a Twitter too, but I'm sorry that I am just not socially um, experienced anymore with that. This isn't going very well. Because <laughs> so distracting. <laughs> what else do I want to say? I guess that's it. Do you want to read a quote? A quote? Yeah. Do you have any quotes um, that you want to say in oh, this in not this moment? Prepared. We could look something up. Live long and prosper. Um, I guess that works. <laughs> Great. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> Say bye. Bye. Well, that's it for today. Thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you to Brie for being the guest co-host. Thank you for having me, and thank you for listening. And thank you for sitting across the table from me and being in the same room, despite how terrible it is. It's awful. (laughs) Um, Please go to the website, practicemakespodcast.com, and take our surveys, because... It is so cool to hear from you guys. The surveys are things about loneliness, 10-day challenge, fear, and it just asks questions that we're going to read on the show, um, most likely on the last episode of the season. Uh, And when you tell your story, there could be someone out there that resonates with it, and they can feel less alone, and that's really the purpose of this podcast. Don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Um, that's one of our most listened to platforms. And if you rate us, then that's what gets them to notice us. If you want to contact us, do it on Instagram or by emailing us through the contact page on the website. There is a Facebook page that you can follow. And we're also on Twitter now at PMP Pod Tweet. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>